This morning's reading is from Galatians 5, verse 13 to 26. Life by the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Thank you for that, Sarah. And we are carrying on in our series called Walk by the Spirit today. And today and over the next few weeks, I want to start with a question this series might raise for us. Uh, And today's question is about the passage we just heard, which we know so well from Galatians 5 called The Fruit of the Spirit. And the question is, are these all of the fruit of the Spirit? Are these all the fruit of the Spirit or are there others as well? Now, I might be a bit controversial here, but I don't think these are all the fruit of the Spirit. Certainly, these are the fruit of the Spirit. But I actually think there are more. And this is why I've brought in uh, the Colossians 3 passage for this series called Walk by the Spirit as well, because they're talking about the same thing. Uh, All these fruit or these clothes, to use the metaphor from uh, Colossians 3, are talking about the Holy Spirit making us more like Jesus. They're talking about us becoming holy as our God is holy. And I want to show you these these two lists, uh, the fruit here listed from Galatians 5, and the clothes listed here from Colossians 3. They're so similar, aren't they? Um, And that is because, yeah, as I said, they're talking about the same thing. But I think what's more important is that these things are not optional to our lives. They're not optional. When Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, he said at the last day, at the judgment day, there would be people who would come before him saying, Lord, Lord, so calling out to him as Lord, didn't we do things in your names? Didn't we prophesy or perform miracles in your names? And you you probably well remember, if you've heard this passage before, Jesus' response to them, because it's pretty terrifying, And he will say to them, I never knew you. Uh, Terrible words to hear uh, and no more terrible words to hear from Jesus because of the eternal consequences of them. And that is because while prophecy and miracles are great, they are not foundational to our lives. I don't think for a moment Jesus was putting down prophecy or miracles, but they are not foundational to the Christian lives. They are just gifts, tools. What is foundational to our lives is our faith in Jesus and that it leads us to becoming like him. It leads to Christ-likeness. It leads to holiness. This 
is foundational to our lives. If we know him, we will become like him. Perhaps that wasn't the shortest of questions, but I hope it is helpful. I think it is important as we go forward. Well, let's get into our message today about what we are to take off from our lives and what we are to put on into our lives. And today I want to talk about lust, meant to take off lust, and self-control, that we are meant to put on self-control. And we can't ignore from our Galatians passage that we heard today, uh, or from Colossians 3 verse 5, that Paul calls both these churches to either take off or put to death that which belongs to their earthly natures, such as either sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, or in Colossians, sexual immorality, impurity and lust. These are all sexual desires or acts, and I want to talk about all of them together. And just to give you a little bit, bit of background, the word that comes first, or the term that comes first, sexual immorality, it's in both lists, uh, is in fact the Greek word pornea, which if that sounds a lot like our word for porn, you would be right. Talking about the same sort of thing. Uh, and I want to roll all of these together, and I'm probably going to refer to them as lust. Lust. And these are all a very real problem. They were a problem back in Paul's time for the Christians living in the world then, and they are a problem for us Christians who are living today. Do you know the Herald reported that when New Zealand went to level four recently, that the largest online porn provider saw a 20% increase in its traffic just from New Zealand. Uh, this is the world we live in. It is a world where even if we are isolate, we can saturate ourselves with porn, with lust. We live in a lust-saturated world where if you have a phone, you pretty much have access to anything your flesh might desire. Now, I'm, I don't actually think I'm really surprising you or telling you anything that's new here. My point is for us to realize this is the world we live in, but it is not the world we belong to. It is not the world that is meant to be shaping us because it is not calling us to the life that we have been redeemed to live. This is not what the Holy Spirit wants for us, it is not where the Holy Spirit is leading us. And this has been for Christians throughout time, for the Galatians, for the Colossians, and for us today. John Bunyan is the author of the fairly well-known book, Pilgrim's Progress. And look, that was published back in 1678. And I mention that because, well, there was no internet then. I mean, there wasn't even electricity then. But in that book, John Bunyan talks about this problem. His book is based actually on a passage from 1 Peter 2.11, where we are called to live as pilgrims, hence the title Pilgrim's Progress, or foreigners in this world, and to abstain from the lusts of the flesh, as it was termed in the translation he read from, or sinful desires which wage war against our souls. And so... John Bunyan has a section in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, where the main character, Christian, is talking to another character called Faithful. And Faithful is recounting part of his journey, part of his Christian journey to Christian. A little confusing with their names, I know. But Faithful tells Christian of uh, 
going over the hill of difficulty. And Bunyan is telling us that all Christians face difficulties in this world. We face an uphill journey. And it was at this difficult hill that Faithful met a very old man called the first Adam, who dwelt, we're told, in the city of deceit. Now Bunyan is referencing here that our fleshly desires, which we all inherited from the first Adam, are deceitful. They want to lead us astray from following the Spirit and getting to heaven. Well, Faithful gets talking with the first Adam, as we all get talking with our flesh at times. And the first Adam uh, makes a case for Faithful staying with him, for coming back to the city of deceit and coming back to his house and staying with him. And he says that he has a very nice house filled with to use a phrase from the book, all the dainties of the world. It's probably not a phrase we'd use, but he's basically saying that whatever the flesh finds tempting, he has there on offer in his house. And he's offering it to faithful. And he says, along with all the dainties of the world, he also has three daughters whom he offers to faithful as well, whom faithful can marry. And faithful can marry all of them, which is seemingly very worldly. And his three daughters are called the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these names come uh, straight from 1 John 2 verse 16. And basically, Faithful is retelling the story of having to decide between continuing the difficult journey of faith, which would lead him to heaven, it would lead him upwards, or of taking the easy offer that is right before him and which is very tempting. It was an appealing offer. It was easy. But as Faithful is considering this, he leans in towards the first Adam to get a closer look at him. And he sees there written on the first Adam's forehead the words, put off the old man with his wicked deeds. Or as we'd read it in a modern translation from Ephesians 4, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And it's at this moment that Faithful hears the Spirit call to him, telling him that the first Adam is not the life he is called to, not the life he is to put on, and he leaves he leaves the first Adam behind, but not without feeling torn about it. And in the story, uh, the first Adam tries to grab hold of him and faithful has to pull himself away, has to tear himself away. And what an image that is of the Christian life. The first Adam, our old self, grabs hold of us, tries to entice us, but grabs hold of us and doesn't want to let go. And we, we have to pull ourselves away. This is the difficulty of the Christian life. Uh, certainly though Jesus said it most clearly of all in the Sermon on the Mount when he told us, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. We've heard Paul tell the Galatians this, <coughs> excuse me, the Colossians this, and the Ephesians this, 
But Peter has said it, and now we've heard Jesus say it as well. We have to tear ourselves away or or put our earthly desires to flesh if we are to escape from them. If we are to live out the life we have been given. And I want to ask three questions of you in relation to this. Do we know, do you know where you belong? Do you know where you belong? Because this world, as it is currently, is not our home. It's not your home. Uh, You are a pilgrim. You are a sojourner, an exile, and you are on a journey of faith to your home with God. But do you know this? Do we live like this world is not our home? Secondly, do we know where we're headed? If we, if we know this is not our home, do we know where we're headed, where our home is? Do we know that heaven is our home? Which is to say, do we know God is our home? He is our heavenly father awaiting us. Yes, one day God will make his home with his people on a redeemed earth. One day. Uh, more about that next week. But heaven Heaven is where God is, and it better be where our minds are. Because where our minds are and our desires are, there our bodies will follow. And lastly, do we expect difficulties? Do we expect an uphill journey? Do we expect to have to battle our old self, to to put our old self off? Or have we come to faith and expected, or at least hoped, that with God's spirit in us, our flesh would would basically be insignificant now? That the Holy Spirit will take control and do it all? I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I've certainly wished for that, but that is not the reality of the Christian life. We live in a sinful world with sinful bodies. We indeed have a first Adam from whom we have inherited sinful desires. But we also have the Spirit of God. This means that we will be surrounded by temptations from outside and from inside. But we are not alone. Difficulties or temptations aren't the variable here. The Spirit is the difference. And we are called to keep in step with it as it leads us through these difficulties, to listen to it as it calls us away from our old selves, away from the old man as it was in Pilgrim's Progress. So do we know where we belong? Do we know where we are headed? And do we expect difficulties along the way? So what about self-controlling? What is it And how do we grow in it? How do we gain it? Especially in this area of our fleshly desires, our lusts, but also in other areas as well. And lust is a good example for how we can apply it to other areas of our lives. Whether it is controlling our tongue, controlling our eating, or controlling our spending. The call is the same and the method is the same. Firstly, what is self-control? And you'd think it was self-explanatory control of oneself. But there is a little more to it than that. Self-control in the Bible is the ability to choose the right thing or the godly thing to do. Or to put it another way, self-control is the ability to choose our identity in Jesus and not in this world. People 
can have ungodly self-control. They can. They can be controlled or disciplined while still being selfish and ungodly. Uh, the Bible is talking about more than that here. Self-control in the Christian life is always about choosing God, about putting him first, about seeking his kingdom. It is always about choosing to be like Jesus. It is always about choosing to obey the Spirit's leading. It is always about choosing holiness. I've got a memory verse for us today. It is in the study notes in the video description, and it comes from 1 Thessalonians 4, and it's verses 3 to 8. Uh, I confess, not the shortest memory verse, uh, but it is so good. Let me read it to you. 1 Thessalonians verse 4, sorry, chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Amazing that that's the first place Paul goes. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this manner no in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sin, such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, this passage is such a great summary. God wants us to control our bodies in a way that is holy and honoring to him. This is his will for us. And to do this, we have to, we have to value him and know his ways. Value him and know his ways. Second Peter talks of this knowledge of God when uh, it tells us God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I said that we need to know God. When we are faced with a temptation in this world, when our flesh rises up, do we firstly know and value God? Do we know him who has called us in his goodness, sorry, his glory and goodness? Do we know them? When I'm sitting at my computer uh, looking at a, a Bible website uh, and a Google ad pops up on the side for a hot ladies close to me, which unfortunately this is a real thing that happens. Uh, but what am I going to value in that moment? In that moment, will I remember, will I know God's glory and goodness for me? Will I remember his son, his perfect son? That he has taken my place because of my sin and fulfilled all righteousness for me. Will I know it? Because this is God's glory and goodness to me. Will I know it and will I value it? Because this is who God is for me. Which is better than any temptation in this world. Because of Jesus, I have a kingdom that will not be shaken to refer to our opening scripture today. Now, I'm not saying for a moment that my flesh, the first Adam, doesn't rise up within me. Of course it does. 
It is always there. But am I taking hold of God in that moment? Oh, the Holy Spirit will want me to. But who am I turning to and what am I turning from? Every time this happens, I have a chance to worship God or to enslave myself. Every time. Do I know God, truly know him and how glorious and good he is to me? Because I need to. I need to. Secondly, do I know his promises to me and that I am called to participate in the divine nature? That I am called to a life in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit that is holy. And that means I should be different from this world. It means that I will have different values. In that moment at my computer, when that ad pops up and I have to make a decision, do I know who I am called to be? And so am I willing to say, along with Psalm 101, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part of it. Look, far too often, I've forgotten this. Far too often, I have listened to the first Adam and walked the easy walk to the city of deceit. But thanks be to God, his mercies are new every morning. And he pursues me. He does not leave me alone and his spirit dwells in me. It dwells in us and leaves us restless until we are at home with him. Brothers and sisters, you have a great calling because you are called by the one who is great. It is a far higher and further calling than you would you would ever take yourself, but it is his calling to you. Where you have been and whatever you have done, that does not negate his call. But you must answer. You must listen to him. Know, know his glory and goodness for you this week. Dwell in his word which reveals him to you. Saturate yourself in the truth that he is greater and better than anything this world has to offer. However you do it, get his truth, the reality of who he is and what he's done for you, into your heart and mind until when you close your eyes, it is still there. And then secondly, know his promises and his call upon your life. Know that you are not your own. You are not called to an easy life here. You are called to a life of a pilgrim. A life that is looking to him and journeying to him. A life that will expect difficulties. That will expect hills, but a life that knows it never journeys alone, that his spirit is always with you. And that you have an inheritance in his kingdom, a kingdom that will not be shaken, that will not be lost, even as you will not be. Brothers and sisters, let us hold on to this. Hold on to this. Because then, then we can take off the lusts of this world and we can put on self-control. Yes, in this area of our lives and others. Let us delight in our God and who he is for us. 
what he has done for us and let us know his call upon us because then, then with the Spirit's help, we will be holy as he is holy. Well, let's pray together. Almighty God, you have indeed called us to a great calling because you have called us to yourself. You do not lower the standard, but you come down and you lift us up. You are calling us to yourself. And oh Lord, what a wonder it is. What a wonder that you have done this. You would call us far beyond where we would go. You call us to reflect you and to make you known to truly live as your children. And I pray that we would do that. That whatever we have done, however we have listened to our old self, however we have lived to uh, listen to our earthly desires, that we would take those off, we would put them to death, we would rid ourselves of them, that we might follow you because you, you are a greater treasure. You are our life. And oh Lord, sometimes the life that you are calling us to, it's, it's new. We haven't done it this way before, but this is what you are calling us to. And we look to you. We look to you knowing that we are not alone, that your spirit is with us. And I pray for us all. I pray for myself that your spirit would work in us, convicting us, challenging us, driving us forward and indeed giving us no rest until we are following you and living as your children. Yes, Lord, make us holy as you are holy, not for our glory, but for your glory in us. I pray this in your name, Jesus, the name above every name. Amen. Amen.